Welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. This is Troy. Welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the intro here. going to dive right into our interview, but I uh, do have a good discussion, something a little bit different um, with uh, some desert pig farming. Uh, but just some updates going on here. We're, um, again, anticipating our new delivery of hogs. That should be soon, so we'll, we're going to do an episode on that, I promise. I know I keep dangling that carrot, but uh, we'll do an episode discussing what's going on here at Red Toolhouse. Um, it's been a day for ducks here recently, a little bit of snow, a little bit of rain, uh, a lot of mud, so we've got, uh, got a lot of that going on. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and jump right into our conversation with Noah. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast. Um, still rocking a head cold because I record these in batches. So if you listen to the last one and you think, wow, Troy stays sick forever. No, these are actually recorded in batches. So um, you may get a couple with me like this. But I'm excited to have uh, a, a, a new guest with us tonight, of course. Um, and this is going to be kind of unique. I'm, I'm excited to talk to Noah about his situation because Noah is in the southwest Arizona desert. And he is farming where uh, where you, you wouldn't think that would be the logical place to farm, but I'm anxious to talk to him and, and see what he's got going on at Adobe Owl Ranch. So uh, good evening, Noah. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Troy, and I appreciate you having me on. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you got a lot going on and and uh, you know, a lot of a lot of balls to juggle right now. And, and I think we've got, just for the listeners, I know we've got just a little bit of a delay Evidently, in southwest Arizona, trying to reach southwest West Virginia, that's probably two of the deepest canyons to try to broadcast into. So we're getting a little bit of latency there. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I'm actually I, I'm slightly less than eight miles from the border with Mexico. So every once in a while, I'll be driving along, and it'll uh, it'll tell me that the welcome to Mexico on my phone, and then I have to call using the U.S. prefix in order just to get back to somewhere here in the states so oh, it's kidding. not unusual that i have phones does that affect your cell phone bill when you have to buenos dias from somewhere else <laughs> well it affects the the plan that i go with i always make sure that i can call free from mexico i got you yeah for sure that makes sense all right so uh we, we've discovered how far south you truly are so let's let's talk about uh, my goodness there's so much to unpack there without without going back and having you recount your entire life story why are you in southwest arizona and why are you deciding to farm there well I'm here actually because this is where the work was. I did some time in the in the military, and this is where I got offered a job about a year after I got out. So I I actually teach here on the army base here at Fort Huachuca, which is the last of the old frontier posts. If you ever heard of those Fort Apache and all those, we've got one left, Fort Huachuca. And I I teach here on the post and. I grew up on a farm in the middle of Missouri, so, well, not the middle, middle of nowhere, Missouri, actually, far north <laughs> Missouri, and my, my dad was a hog farmer, commercial, sort of, you know, the I guess it probably was breeder hogs that they sent off at that point. It was mostly commercial for us, and then 
we also had cows and a couple of horses. My grandpa was a dairy farmer in Iowa long, long time ago. So I guess it's kind of in my blood somewhere along the line. All right. So you're not a, you're not a native Arizonan then. So you, you've got, you've got good old uh, uh, Midwest farm boy in you then it sounds like. Oh yeah. Well, I, yeah, I was born in Iowa and the, the whole, well, both sides of both of my parents, their whole families are from Iowa and it kind of goes east from there, like I was telling you. And in those emails, I actually have relatives that were the people that were responsible for setting up Morgantown, West Virginia, or that's what the genealogy tells me. So yeah. We're, we're probably Hicks from way back, if I was to guess. That's right. Hicks going west, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Ain't nothing wrong with that, that's for sure. Okay, so uh, so tell me about Adobe Owl Ranch. Hey, how you how you came across that? It, you know, it sounds to me like you were stationed in that area, got work there, still doing work there, but then uh, because of your farm blood, decided to take that on. So, how did you get your land? What kind of land are we talking about? And what challenges do you face? Yeah, well, I I was never quite stationed here. My grandparents were north of here for a while, so I knew the area. But I when I came out here i knew i wanted to have some land for mostly for my kids so they'd be able to kind of experience some of the oh the farm life that i grew up with i guess so when i started looking for properties i was looking for something with a little bit of land and i ended up down here we're actually in a, we're named after cows i'm in hereford arizona so or i guess pig well, it could be pigs but out here it's cows there's a lot of cows still not many pigs sure so I knew I wanted some land, so I found 10 acres down here, and it's, this is kind of a, it's, people think of a desert, and it is definitely, we don't get much rain, but it's not like if you've ever been to Phoenix or something like that, it's not that kind of just barren wasteland. We, we have a lot of native kind of shrub and brush, a lot of, you know, if you've ever seen pictures of like desert landscapes where there's the little tufts of grass about every like maybe one every foot or two that's what we have mostly and a lot of mesquite trees so as far as the name goes um so i bought this property and it was the first one on the road that i live on according to my neighbors anyway which old out here that means it was built in 1977 right yeah so uh, we're a little, little newer than everybody else in the, in the country but there is a the oldest building on my property is actually it's on my website and Facebook page. All that stuff is this old broken down adobe building that I honestly can't tell what it was ever used for. It's too tall and too narrow, but it makes a great owl roost. So we've got barn owls that live out there about probably eight months out of the year, and so I I like owls, so I started taking pictures of them, and the whole thing kind of came together from there because. You know, it's a unique name, I guess, really. Adobe Owl Ranch is just kind of, it rolled off the tongue, so I went with it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, if you're looking on your website here, um, yeah, there's several things that you've uh, addressed there and come back to, but um, with with the chickens you have, I'm sure that's another good reason for the owls to hang out. <laughs> you have any issues with that? No, well, you can't really see my chicken coop there, but everything I do out here, well, the chicken coop was here when I got the place, but everything I build to put chickens in, I make sure it's a six-sided box. So it's got a roof and four sides because I don't 
it's not just the owls. We've got a lot of hawks. There's, I hear there's some eagles and similar stuff up on the mountains. I haven't seen them myself. And then there's just, I have seen a wolf and we have bears, but they don't come down here. But coyotes, javelinas, we got all kinds of animals. So yeah, I I don't. Although the only the only actual deaths that I've had on my property were the result of my dog. So <laughs> I can't really blame the wildlife too much. Yeah, that's the way it goes. <laughs> Yeah, so so looking at your at your picture again, I'm I'm ignorant because I've never been other than Texas. I've never been west of the Mississippi. So looking at uh, your pictures and, and thinking you know, Arizona desert, I would not have imagined you would have as much green grass as you have. But looking at this one picture of your uh, looks like a a, a pastured poultry uh, uh, tractor here, lots of green grass around it. The mesquite trees in the back are all nice and greened up, so it actually looks quite pleasant there. So was really nice when I took that picture. Um, <laughs> we're a high desert and we have, I don't know if it happens anywhere else in the country. We have a thing we call monsoons. So most of the year we get very little rain for most of the year. And then partway through July through part of August, we get daily downpours every afternoon. Hmm. So that picture was taken right toward the end of monsoon and everything it is, it's just, it's a lush area. You wouldn't believe it was a desert driving through mid-August but yeah come the end of September everything starts to be pretty pretty dried out again but yeah it's it's kind of I like it because I don't really care for too much precipitation so I like being able to know that I can go outside anytime and work on stuff not worry about rain the way that you know you do and people back back where I'm from good lord you drive you go nuts here in West Virginia right now I, I think I'm growing web feet yeah, I know my folks are still in Missouri, and they they had the worst flooding since '93, I think, there this year. Hmm. Wow. So. Well, let's talk about your pig setup. I, I know this is something. Uh, you, know, you grew up with the history of that, and you've got that experience there as a, as as a young kid growing up. But um, talk about where you are right now with pigs. So right now, I got two. Well, I bought them as feeders, and they were. I, maybe 60 pounds when I got them. There are two Duroc cross of some kind. I, I got them from another guy that's out in the middle of nowhere out here. So he said Duroc and I think Hampshire, but it looked like a, looked like a Poland China boar to me. Hmm. But so as, as you can see, I guess nobody that's listening can see, but they're all black floppier pigs, which I wanted being out here. Cause we get a lot of sunlight. And I didn't, I'd heard about pigs having sunburn and I, I didn't want to put anything through that. And mm. the flop ears kind of came as a bonus, but they're also handy out here because it shields their, their eyes from the sun too. Cause there is a lot of, a lot of sunlight, even when it's not hot, it's pretty bright. You know, we're at high altitude. We're 43, 4,400 feet yeah. closer to the equator than you are. So, um, I've had those, those pigs for several months now. They're going to be. At least one of them, like I said, I I may keep the the guilt, but the barrel for sure is going to go off to freezer land here by the end of the month or early in February. Yeah, yeah. So, what's your configuration right now as far as your setup goes, like like a pasture or, or shelter? How are you dealing with that? Well, I I've got a three stall stable here that I 
use some of the time, um, especially if it's getting colder, I let them go in there. But I've also got a, a wood building. I don't think I've got any pictures on there, but it's a, kind of just a giant doghouse. But it's actually closed in, so when it gets cooler here, they can get in and stay warm. Although you've got pigs, you know, they, they rarely seem like they get cold. So Right, yeah. But I've got right now, everything is, is hog panel, you know, 16 foot by 34 inch uh, panels between T-posts. But I'm slowly, right now that's an area, I don't know, there's probably 20 or 30 of them strung together out there. But I've been moving them, or I'm planning on moving them. I've, I've got them in an area right now that they've completely cleared out for me, which is great because there won't be any tumbleweeds there next year. Tumbleweeds are kind of the death to all of us down here. <laughs> so that's kind of what I'm, now I, as my grandma used to say, when the world burns at the end of time, at the end of Revelation, it's going to be because some idiot lit a tumbleweed on fire. That's hilarious. So, uh, so I'm, that's kind of the part of the land management that I plan on doing here. I've got a powerful fencer that I'm going to start putting up smaller paddocks and with these two new breeders that I've got coming in, they're going to be moving around more, clearing out some of the the undergrowth for me to kind of let some of the native grasses come back in. Uh, so right now it's all hard fences, but I've I've actually started yesterday stringing out my first electric fence because the fencer just came in the mail. Yeah, all right. Yeah, it's interesting to get on these rabbit trails, but talking about uh, tumbleweeds, my 14-year-old, he'd never heard of such a thing, and... We saw something on the news about, uh, I guess, some wind issues and a car covered in tumbleweeds, and that just blew his mind. So we had to spend about fifteen minutes talking about tumbleweeds. <laughs> things, yeah, things you yeah, only th- only think buddy. you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say it's those things you only think you see on uh, Roadrunner Coyote cartoons. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I wish that was the only place I saw them. I actually work with a guy that's from where that tumbleweed avalanche was. And we don't get it like that down here. They're they're not that big around. Probably the, a big one is maybe two feet from side to side. Yeah. But the problem is they'll stack up against any kind of structure you have. Like a, it, it's just like a snow fence. It is the same kind of thing. So you'll go out one day and you won't be able to get into a building because you'll have to smash all the tumbleweeds down. <laughs> and then when you smash it, it's like smashing Cheerios. You know, when you get done, there's just a little pile at the bottom. You think, how could that giant pile of tumbleweeds that ended up being two cups at the bottom of the door right yeah yeah that's great oh my goodness well, I'm, I'm obviously i'm fascinated by uh by what you're dealing with out there with topography it just blows hey it blows my mind that there's something that a place that's that dry especially right now as wet as it is here so so obviously <laughs> you you're, you're talking about your pasture setup and, and expanding that with electric yeah, I think that the the question that's probably going through a lot of people's minds are are, are how how challenging is this right now with even with two pigs with uh, just just the topography you're dealing with and the climate and all those type of things how how much of a struggle is this or is it just you know just truck along? Well, I I have an advantage because I have a I have a good off farm job. I could never afford to farm down here full time, mm-hmm. so. I have the advantage of a hobby for me, so I, I don't ever get too stressed about it. And I'm also apparently really lucky because I haven't had any breakouts, you know, knock on wood yet. And I'll tell you that probably the biggest problem I have here is either mesquite trees 
which I always call them a zombie tree because you can never you have to dig them completely out to kill them. Yeah. If you cut one off the ground, the next year you've got a bush. Yeah. And if you cut that off, the next year you got another bush. It just they just keep going until you pull them out. Yeah, sounds like a sycamore tree. And then here, yeah. the other, what's that? As it sounds like a sycamore tree here. They're the same way. They're I, I call them alien trees because they they just grow wherever. Yeah, it it kind of is. It's it's like that. And and then the other thing is we have caliche down here. Is what we call the kind of earth. So if you go, well, if you were to take a core sample, I've got about maybe three inches of sand with some clay mixed into it and some dirt and you know the top's kind of hard to tell and then you get down and it gets kind of more coarse and a lot more sand you know it's more solidly sand only until you get down about two or three feet and it kind of becomes it's like a solid clay but dry hmm. so for example yesterday i went out and i was putting ground stakes to the dispenser and you know normally you could take like a piece of conduit put a water hose in the end of it and sink it in the ground in about, I don't know, maybe three minutes where you're at. Yeah. I stood out there and fought with the thing for probably half an hour, pounded into the ground and all that. And I got four feet deep and then it took me, I don't know how long with a T post driver to get that six feet into the ground. And now, so now I've got a, you know, ground, it wouldn't go any farther. So now I've got a ground rod that's sticking two feet out of the ground. Yeah. Yeah. But it does ground defense really well. Yeah. And T posts are the same way. You, you just wait for, you put all your, your posts into the ground right after it rains. And then the good thing, I guess, is once they're in, they don't move. So okay. they, <laughs> exactly. they can come along and move them or scratch on them and they don't move a, a bit. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about uh, grounding rods it, at our place. Uh, we have a lot of sandstone, so topsoil is only so many inches deep. And so I have to send my dry, uh, grounding rods in at an angle uh, to, to get them in because and, and, we hit sandstone. And then uh, if I ever want to move them for some reason, then I have to use my tractor bucket and actually pull them out because you know, there ain't no way you're pulling it out by hand. But um, uh, that's interesting. That's that's an interesting soil makeup. So what about water? I mean, I assume you, you probably have access to some public water. Do you have a well? Do you do rain catchment? What What are your options there? We don't actually have any public water out where I'm at. They're talking about it. Uh, there aren't that many of us. Well, where I'm at is, is zoned. You, have to have, you can't have more than one house every four acres. So, oh, yeah. so it limits that. And so I've got a well that is, presumably put in when the house was built. Actually, I think it's older than that. I've, I've looked at some flat maps from back into the, I think the 50s, and there was a windmill here. Now, before that, there isn't a map that doesn't look like it was written by Columbus. But <laughs> So we have a well here, and we're capped at the, at the speed with which you can remove water from the ground. But most of I mean... They, they keep talking about regulating this and regulating that, but most of us are extremely water conscious, much more than anywhere else I've ever lived. You know, there's nobody, I don't know anybody that waters a lawn or, or does anything like that. I don't have any standing water. I use hog nipples for these pigs, and I've got them turned to where they can't just lay up against them and keep them running. Hmm. So I'm pretty conscious with my water. The only, even, I mean, even my chickens are the same sort of a thing, you know, where they are on a system where they have to do something to get water out. 
because I don't want to. In fact, the dogs and the cat are on the same deal too. You know, they just I don't want to have any water sitting around that'll evaporate and, and waste. And I do have a water catchment system also because those monsoons I was talking about. My my house I don't, I don't know I think it's about two thousand square feet of flat roof, hmm. and I I pull water off one side into an eight hundred gallon container, and it'll fill that between 45 minutes and two hours wow. of rain here. So it, it really comes down when it comes down. So I am working on getting more. I want to, I want to put in an underground tank for, you know, livestock and all that. Um, but that's obviously off into the future somewhere. So that'll drastically cut down the amount of water that I use. Yeah. So it, it sounds like right now with your well being your primary source and then the, the amount of catchment you're doing, then that could be, um, probably your biggest hurdle with uh, scaling up as far as any type of livestock goes or, or anything for that matter, as far as water consumption. Yeah. The water table here is, it's funny. So I'm about 4,500 square feet. If you go, uh, I'm next to one of those rivers that runs the wrong way. It, it runs to the North, as I understand. But hmm. If you go downhill to the North, it's about, 40 miles, there's actually still artesian wells. If you look up St. David, Missouri, or St. David, Arizona, there's artesian wells, and they still, you can go down there and turn them on, and no water will shoot up into the sky. So oh, wow. There's water here. It's just a matter of, of getting to it, and obviously, you know, I'm, I try to conserve all I can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, what about uh, feed for your pigs? I, you know, looking at your social media and your website, you know, you've got you've got some interesting stuff going on there. So, uh, tell us about that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you're probably looking at the uh, the scraps there, I suppose. Yeah. So, I I actually have a feed store right around the corner. That's a couple of really good people. Uh, Gems Feed they they really take care of my if I want any you know any kind of packaged feed and what you're probably seeing with the produce is i don't know if it happens other places but here local there's a like a non-profit that goes around and they get food that you can't sell in the grocery store anymore so the stuff that's out of date or you know it has a blemish of some kind or something and they bring it to a couple of locations and they actually sell it for it's, I don't know, pennies on the dollar for human consumption, but all the stuff that doesn't go into those, they give to some of the local farmers. So myself and a couple other guys, you know, pull a trailer over and load it up with boxes and boxes of zucchini and that kind of stuff that doesn't keep real well. And you know how the pigs don't really like it until it's pretty bad. So they, they yeah. get a treat every once in a while with that. Exactly. I have heard that there's an actual feed mill in Wilcox, which is up on I-10, where I can get feed by the ton, but I haven't gotten to the point where that would be advantageous for me, because it's about uh, probably about a 70-mile drive to get over there, so mm. yeah, I'd have to have a lot more pigs to make that worth it, I think. Definitely, yeah, yeah, it's a, again, a scalability thing, and then, of course, storing it, all those all of those issues that go along with that. So, so it sounds like you know, the, some of this post-consumer waste is really helping offset uh, you know, feed expenses there uh, from time to time for you. Yeah, and I kind of look at it as a pig. They're they're not happy unless they have something to play with, 
So I try to leave them some of that kind of stuff out there so they can, you know, nose around, especially down here where there isn't nearly as much, I guess, you know, greenery coming out of the ground. Although you see those mesquite trees, and if I don't leave something out for them, they'll go along and they actually eat the ends of the mesquite branches. So they they do keep themselves busy. But. Right. Yep. Yeah, they'll nibble and everything. Do they uh, do they try to uproot any of the the smaller mesquite? Do they they dig the roots out or anything? Or are they not really rooting much? They they root a little bit in places where there's more soil and less sand, and I obviously don't encourage that. That's part of the reason I'm I'm getting ready to start moving them around because I. I want them to root enough in the places where it's just sand to turn things over and, and kind of work things in. But it's even for a pig, it's pretty hard dirt out here. So they don't they don't root too much other than, you know, making nests and that kind of stuff. They do yeah, you know, they, they root up under the trees, but they haven't they haven't succeeded in killing any mesquite trees yet, which I'm kinda of disappointed at. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So is is there a rotational process in play, or you just kind of leave them in that paddock? And I know you said you're expanding your electric. Uh, is there going to be a rotation element there? Are you seeing any soil improvements already with with their what they're doing, and of course their manure and and those type of things? So my rotation is starting really soon. I'm getting the the lines put in for that, which is kind of perfect. I mean, you know how it is with different areas you want to leave them different places for different amounts of time so right now when i first put them in there it was all it was all grown up in these not only the tumbleweeds but also we've got this desert broom thing that is i don't even know how to describe it It, it's a it's like a weed bush i guess it's it's kind of like a tree but they just grow everywhere so they've succeeded in knocking a couple of those down and and trampling them out and just kind of disturbing all the soil there. So I think next year I'm going to come along with some natural or some not some uh, local grass seed and see if I can get that started and probably let that rest for a year. And I'm going to start rotating them through the more eastern side of my property where there's that there's a little bit more moisture content on that side of the property than there is on the west. On, yeah, on the western side, and my neighbor's farther away over there, so I don't think they'll complain. Hmm. Yeah, so I assume with uh, obviously, like you said, expanding your rain catchment, that can uh, open up more doors as far as uh, land improvement goes. Having water in, in various places, you can move the pigs further out, um, doing those type of things. So, do you see? In, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say I'm I'm. Next year, when it starts getting wetter, I am going to put in a few water lines underground and electric lines. I'm going to run, run not together, um, but I'm going to run a couple of different places out so I can have either, you know, different paddocks for them to have water in so I don't have to. Cause right now, I got hoses, and the sun, as you probably know, is pretty bad on hoses. So I'm going to put a couple hydrants out and have places where I can put either a heat lamp if I have farrowing because we're kind of backwards out here where I actually want to butcher in the winter because in June it might be 115 degrees and it's real hard to get meat to come down to temperature at that point. So I want to butcher in the, in the winter. So my farrowing schedule, I still got to figure out when I get these breeders in, but 
So I've, I've still got some time for that. So are you going to process on farm just for self-consumption? Are you taking it somewhere to be butchered? Well, one of the first one, at least here, which is, like I said, going to be real soon, I'm going to do here on farm because I work with a guy who's interested. Well, I actually work with two guys who are interested in seeing it done, and my dad's going to be down. And I'm a big believer, you know, in, I guess, passing knowledge along. And I was a pretty small kid when my dad was doing all this stuff. So I remember him doing it, but I was never involved. So I, while he's down, I want him to show me how he was doing it back when I remember. And my family's all a bunch of people who didn't have kids until they were older than average. So my grandparents were born in the really early 1900s. Hmm. So I imagine that we probably have a few different between my dad and a couple uncles, they probably have a couple of different ways of remembering how to do things that might've not otherwise made it at least to where I'm at. Yeah. So at least a few are going to happen here. And then we do have USDA processor in Tucson, which is, there's an agricultural university or, or part of the university up there. And that's about probably an hour and a half, maybe if I wanted to do that kind of stuff. And I think there's some more off to the east also. I haven't really investigated that direction. But there used to be, there's a lot of cows down here. There's not many pigs, but there's a lot of cows. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, I think I think uh, processing your own uh, pork is something everyone should do at least once so you can appreciate the work that goes into it and get a better understanding of of your processor and that relationship and and, and kind of know from their perspective what uh, what all it takes and all the details that go into it. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I, I hope that, you know, I, my son's four, but I hope in time, you know, I can pass things along to him too. Cause I mean, it seems a shame that the things just because we found a, a simpler, more electrified way of doing things. It seems a shame to just let everything go to, to the past, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. Absolutely. So, no. What do you think um, as far as moving forward? You kind of talked about you know, within the next year, but what do you think four years, five years down the road? What does it look like? Are you are you thinking expanding your pork operation? Do you get into sales, or do you kind of stay at the uh, the homestead level as far as raising your own pork? I think by then, what I'd least like to see is be able to sell. I, I probably don't plan on ever selling cuts, but I'd like to be able to sell quarters or halves or maybe even whole hogs. But the hogs I'm getting are, it'll probably be whole hogs because I'm getting the guinea hogs, so they ain't that big to start with. But I'd like to sell those because there's a lot of people down here that are either very health conscious or, you know, loyal or local driven, that sort of a thing. So I think I have a market in the area. It's just a matter of tapping into it and showing people what it is that they can get local when they're used to, you know, bringing their pork from wherever it is that wherever it is that it comes from here local. I don't actually know, probably California, folks. Yeah. 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 So I think you know that's kind of my thought is to be able to break into more of the the health folks and the the local driven. We've We've got a little town over here, Bisbee, which used to be a gigantic town way back in the day, which is all sorts of hippies. And I'm not one, but I can appreciate some of the stuff that they think. So 
I think I at least have some market over there. Yeah. Well, that's the, again, you know, finding that niche market where you can, you can either provide value added product or just, uh, just get uh, a customer base that appreciates uh, the uniqueness of what you're raising and it, it, it makes it worthwhile. Yeah, that, that's my thought. And like I said, I know they're out there cause we have a lot of local beef and then just across the probably 45 minutes from me, there's actually some people raising lambs and stuff like that the other side of the mountain. So there's definitely a market. It's just about getting into it. Yeah. All right. Well, good. Well, in, as we get close to drawing to the end here, one, one question I ask everybody on our podcast, of course, is what is your favorite part or favorite experience so far in raising pigs on pasture? Oh boy. I think, Probably my personal favorite thing, and I kind of get the two-part deal, I, I really get a kick out of watching my kids. You know, these pigs are real tame. So my kids will be out there riding their bicycles around, and they'll occasionally jump off and go over and rub a pig on the head or something and then go back. And just seeing the interaction between, what you know, I guess pasture-raised kids and, and my animals, you know, because <laughs> I just don't think, you know, a lot of people don't get that kind of opportunity. They're so separated from things. and these these kids don't even think any other way you know they can't imagine i i wouldn't think living another living like they did when before they can remember you know and but i think as far as if it was just me and some pigs i can't help but laugh every time i see one of these things run they're just they're so happy and so ungainly when they're running that it just makes me laugh every time yeah they're incredibly entertaining animal that's for sure well let me ask you about about your kids real quick so you're you're Kids are old enough to kind of understand what's going on there. So, have you had the discussion as to that uh, this is this is food walking around, or you think that's going to be a, an issue that has to be broached? No, we discuss that kind of stuff, and we've had the chickens for a couple of years. And right when we got the chickens, we had a discussion about how these are not, you know, they're not like the cats or the dogs that our animals that we name and and are keeping around as pets that they know that when the chickens stop laying they're going to go into chicken stew or whatever it is and we just kind of carried that on to the pigs i said these are animals that are here and they're i show <laughs> the first thing i did was show them where bacon comes from because you know who doesn't like bacon that's right exactly so it does make a macabre conversation once in a while when they ask when they're going to be killed but they're I think as much as a four and a six year old can understand, they do. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, and I, I, I'll never forget the first time uh, we had pigs, and of course we did the typical: um, we raised three, and we we're going to process one and breed the other. So uh, our boys were much, much younger. They well, they probably around that six, four year old age as well, and uh, maybe a little bit older. And so we're sitting around the dinner table, and we're having our first uh, dose of uh, of pork that we raised. And uh, the boys had named the pigs, which you know, I was a little leery of, but uh, this one pig that we processed was named Notch because it had the most prominent notches in its ears from the farmer we got it from. And uh, so my oldest, you know, I just remember him setting down his fork at one point. He said, is this Notch? Are we eating Notch right now? And I said, yeah, son, we are. This is, this is the animal that we raised, and now we're going, to, we're going to enjoy it. And he said, wow, 
notch really tastes good. <laughs> so I knew at that point that uh, that I, I, I convinced them at least that uh, there's there's no uh, there's no harm in enjoying the spoils of our efforts. No, and I, I would assume that we're both on the same page. I I don't understand people that don't want to know where their food comes from, and I kind of. I'm far from a vegetarian, but I kind of feel like if you're unwilling to ever dispatch an animal to be eaten, I'm not sure you ought to be allowed to. (laughs) It's just, you know, you don't know what it is that goes on. There's a lot of, it doesn't come out in a little white tray with, you know, plastic wrapped across the top. They didn't even slice their own pork chops. You know, there's, there's no work that goes into any of it. I I think that there's something you appreciate things more when you see them up close like that. Well, yeah, and, and and again, not to get uh, um, macabre here, but when you th- when you think about dispatching an animal, and, and I had this conversation with somebody just the other day that they said, "Well, I eat meat, but I could never raise my own animals and kill them. I just, you know, I'm not that cruel that I could kill my own animals." And I said, "Well, then you you you're fine with somebody else doing the dirty work then, because you still eat the meat. So you you want somebody else to do? It's like it's like you're hiring a hitman to some degree. So." You're okay with that process, which again, I, you know, everyone has their own opinion, and that's fine. But uh, when you appreciate a the work you put into raising it, and then when we've processed on farm, even chickens for that matter, you appreciate it. I, you know, it's it's a very serious matter for us to go dispatch an animal that we've put all this time into. And I tell you one thing: we don't waste anything. If I spent the time and money and effort and infrastructure to raise an animal, you know, I'm not going to discard it. Uh, yeah, I give my boys a hard time if there's a slightest little piece of pork chop left. It's like, hey, do you know how hard it it was to raise that? You you need to eat all of that. So, I I, I agree. I think there's uh, that disconnect is something that needs to be changed. People need to understand at least where their food comes from, and they need to actually have their hands on it at some point. And I think that would change a lot of opinions about a lot of things in our food system. Yeah, I I agree, and I'm kind of kidding. I don't. I'm not saying you shouldn't be allowed to eat meat, but it just that was the nearest way I could think of to say it. But I also the what I think of here is I'm raising chickens and these two pigs and there's more on the way and everything I have I do everything to make sure that they have the best life that they can have while they're here. I don't want to have, you know, anybody that has ever grown anything and then has eaten it wants to treat it as well as they can. Yeah. If for no other reason than the selfish reason that it'll taste better, but also because who wants to see something suffer? <laughs> if I go out there and something is, you know, they're unhappy or there's something wrong or, you know, somebody's stuck in a fence or something, I'm going to drop everything to make sure that, that gets fixed because I don't want to see any animal suffer. I'm going to go take care of business, and then when the time comes, then I'm I'm going to take care of business as quickly and humanely as possible then, too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Well, good. Well, no, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on, and I know you're you were um, uh, with you with our time time difference here and schedule and stuff that it was uh, it was something we had to work out. But I appreciate uh, you taking the time to to talk with me. It's interesting to hear um, somebody uh, doing what we do here in West Virginia, but in a totally different climate, different setup, and it's it's just very interesting to me. So I appreciate you taking the time to come talk with me. Well, I appreciate you with your podcast because I've learned a lot listening to you guys, you and your your other guests, I guess. And maybe, you know, as time goes on here, we may 
I'll shoot you another email at some point. We may be able to kind of catch up again on how things go. Yeah. I'm learning things, but I can only imagine that there's somebody else out there that's trying to do what I'm doing. Because I've looked, I couldn't find anybody raising pigs in the desert. So right, maybe yeah. I'm just the only idiot trying this. But. Well, you know, and, and that's you, you make an interesting point there because I, I'd like to think that you know the the more I do this podcast, the more I realize how little I know about raising pigs, uh, just because there's so much to know and and you just learn constantly and. So I think you know we're you know in the 30s as far as episode goes. So that means I've done you know, 30 plus interviews, and you know learn some something from somebody every time. Whether it's you know some of these guys that are producing you know hundreds if not thousands of of pigs a, a year, to somebody just starting out or somebody doing it on the family level, like you know kind of like where you are right now. It's just it's just really fascinating to hear all these different setups. Uh, but with this, with the same goal in mind to have control of our food, know where it comes from, and then you know possibly you know, generate some income from it. Um, but it is it's just an incredible learning experience, and I appreciate everyone that comes on and shares and and uh, you know I'm anxious to just get the next batch of people uh, talking. So again, I appreciate you coming on and and letting us uh, understand and take a peek at what you got going on there. Thank you. No worries on my end. All right. Well, uh, if anyone wants to find out more about Adobe Owl Ranch, uh, where can they find you? Well, right now I'm, I do Facebook and Instagram and either one of those is I've got a Facebook, um, I guess it's a business page, even though I don't sell anything that's at Adobe Owl Ranch and it's A D O B E, you know, like the old Spanish building. Same thing on Instagram, and then we do have the website, which is www.adobeowlranch.com. And I try to get things on there as much as I can, but I'm like everybody else. I'm kind of short on time, so right now it's pretty sparse. Yep, that's the way it goes. <laughs> well, all right. Well, well, no, I appreciate, again, appreciate you taking the time, and I'm going to let you go so you can um, enjoy the rest of your evening, and your evening's just getting started, actually, where you are, so you'll uh, you have some time to kill then. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, man, sure. I, have a good evening. Take care. Well, I really appreciate Noah taking the time to talk with me. It's interesting uh, what he's got going on there in the in the high elevation desert. Uh, I'd be curious to follow up with him. He's just getting started, you know, just getting some of these things in place. Uh, I'd be curious to follow up with him in a couple of years and see how things are going, see if he's overcome some of those challenges he faces. Well, if you uh, know anyone or would like to be on the podcast, by all means, please uh, go to redtoolhouse.com, click on the Pasture Pig podcast link. You can fill out that form. And I apologize. I think I may have mentioned this already. Uh, the form wasn't working. I didn't realize it. Uh, so some of you guys that have filled out the form and wonder if I haven't contacted you, why not? That's why. So if you have not heard back from me yet, then just know that uh, your form got broadcast into the abyss and I didn't, I didn't get it. So please reach out. Uh, I'm not ignoring anyone. I uh, will respond to you one way or the other. Um, if you have not heard back from me, that means I did not get your input. So please uh, resubmit. I think I've got everything all figured out there now. Well, I appreciate everybody taking the time to listen to the podcast. I pray you have a good week out in the pasture and you get to spend time with your pigs. All right, take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.